Here we go on the five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to everything you need to know about music in three songs, where you get to learn everything you need to know about music in three songs from the perspective of a 20-something-year-old. That's you. That is me. And a 40-something-year-old. That is me and one other guest. And a literal 20-year-old. <laughs> Say hi, Jack. Hello. That is you. That is you. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is the kickoff to season four wow. of the podcast. And I'm going to go tonight first. What are we doing? So that's a good question. Uh, you have recently picked up a new instrument. I have, yes. For everyone who hasn't been keeping up with my life, <laughs> I have recently started playing the guitar a couple months ago. And how has that been going? Uh, splendid. Please don't make me play. No, I'm not going to okay. make you play. I'm yeah, not going to make you. you play. And I know that Jack plays bass. I do. How's that been going? Um, please don't a... make him play either. <laughs> yeah, please don't make me play either, but it's definitely more forgiving the guitar. You know, a little bit. You don't have to play the same song over and over again. <laughs> him and Alex, and it doesn't help that him and Alex have both been and been trying to learn the same song. All right, right. Moving that, that could be monotonous. Right. Right. I, I got you. So <laughs> what what I've been doing in preparation for season four mm-hmm. is kind of going back and looking at some of the ones that we had done already. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned that you, since we talked about the Almond Brothers, started listening to a lot more of the Almond Brothers. You're talking about my boy Dwayne. <laughs> we're we're not. Oh, we're not. Okay, but that's okay because we already did Dwayne. We kind of did Dwayne mm-hmm. when we did the Almond Brothers. But in a few episodes, that one specifically, we talked about guitarists. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the rankings of guitarists. Mm -hmm. And in Mm -hmm. one of them, I had said, Dwayne's probably my favorite guitarist, even though he's usually ranked two, three, four, five, six, depending on what ranking system you look at and the time that they release them, Mm -hmm. like Rolling Stone, for Mm -hmm. example. But no matter which ranking system you use or which chart you ever look at always number one is Jimi hendrix mm-hmm. so i was going to do today for you as the new guitarist Jimi hendrix wow wow i'm really excited yeah, that's about a good this. one because i've been reading a lot about his weird chords that he does you know, yeah he does, yeah so, we're gonna, right, we're gonna you know cover you're that. probably gonna tell me so. so here's here's how i thought we would do it i do want to give you some of the history obviously of you know why him and why he's considered so good, where he came from, and who he played with, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But I really wanted to break it down with uh, the idea of why. Why does everyone think he's so good? Because if I'm honest, his music to me is great, but it's not, oh my, like, it's not over the top. I don't go, I agree. right? It's not unbelievable. Yet, I think you'll appreciate it more after I go through some of the reasons that Every guitarist, me included, would say he's the greatest guitarist to ever do it. Wow. Okay. I'm okay. Excited. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's, that's like my that, claim. Like that All right. That's my claim up front. That's what I'm going to do for you. Okay. And then at the end, you'll go. Okay. I maybe see a little bit. I feel as like we why. should all be wearing headbands right now. <laughs> yeah. He. Let me. Okay. Let's do this. When you think of Jimmy, do you consider him? Your favorite guitarist or the best guitarist? Like, where, where does he rank now, and what does he mean to you now prior to me even giving you any sort of information about him? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, and then Jack will tell you next. Okay. We're, and, again, we're in our 20s. So, Jimi Hendrix music is not really prevalent with right. our generation. So, okay. to be honest, I don't really listen to him. When I think of him, I think of 
uh, a, a, a black dude playing the guitar on so many drugs that he's just sweating with his eyes closed playing chords that nobody's ever heard of before. And doing it flawlessly. On stage and doing it flawlessly and kind of like floating. That's what I think of when I think of yeah, him. Yeah, almost okay. godlike. That's fair. Because yeah. it was so long ago that also it's almost godlike. And yeah, he's a legend. I feel like that's, that's what part, I think of. That's him. part of it is not only is he great, but also it's like that was so long ago. Okay, I mean, so like, you're living in the era where you're playing to World War II vets that aren't that old. Okay, like, okay. That's, okay. That's a little bit different than playing now. If I say it this way, what he started, like you might look at the music now and go, yeah, okay, that's not that big of a deal. But nobody was doing what he was doing at the time. Exactly. He is such a pioneer for so many things that are so common now, you might not look at his music as not, it might not feel all that special now because you've heard it before. But at the time, no one was doing what he was doing. Uh, okay, that, right, I, can so, appreciate, I can appreciate that. All right, so first, James Marshall Allen Hendricks. That's mm-hmm. his name. Born November 27th, 1942 in Seattle, Washington. He begins playing the guitar at 15. At 1961, at the age of 19, he enrolls in the Army. And I only bring this up because <laughs> he gets released a year later because... His commanding officer was like, you don't belong here. This is not not for you. (laughs) Like, you can't focus. There's no reason you should be in the Army. Like, there's... And and, and literally, I took the quote here. It says, you were unable to be treated... No, unable to be treatable by hospitalization or counseling. Meaning, a nice way of saying, there's nothing we can do for you. (laughs) Like, you don't belong here. So he got an honorable discharge, and the Army basically (laughs) didn't want him. (laughs) So he leaves the Army and moves to Tennessee and starts playing with the Isley Brothers. He gets a a gig with the Isley Brothers because the Isley Brothers are looking for a guitarist because their guitarist had just left. He comes to the brothers and he says, can I audition for you? And they're like, yeah, come over tomorrow. And play something for us. So Jimmy goes over and he goes, um, all right, I, I'll, I'll play something. And the guys go, all right, great, where's your guitar? He goes, well, it's at the pawn shop. I had to pawn it. And the guy goes, all right. So they brings him to the pawn shop. They pay for him to get his guitar out. They get the guitar out. There's no strings on the guitar. Mm. So they got go to the, they, they go to the music store. They get, they get strings. So finally they get this guitar. They get it strung. He plays as you may or may not know, an upside-down regular guitar because he's left-handed. So if you were to take a regular right-handed guitar, he takes that guitar and just flips the strings upside down. That's how he plays the guitar? That's how he plays it. So the G's at the bottom. No, no, no. So the strings are in the same order that we would play it, but the shape of the guitar, so if you look at my Fender Strat, he would take that but just reverse the strings and play it left-handed and play it the opposite way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that that big of a deal? Because if you look, well, yeah, it is. Because if you look at the shape of a guitar, where the cutout is, okay, there's a cut here so that your hand can go there. If you play it this way, it's not there. It's shaped differently for left hand versus right hand. Oh, if you want to, yeah, 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 gotcha. So he plays a right-handed guitar, Mm -hmm. but with the strings upside down. Oh, I see what you're saying. What an idiot. Well, well, first off, he can play it both ways. He literally could play the, the guitar both ways. He's that good. But we'll get to that. We're going to get mm. to that. Wow. So anyway, he gets there, he, and he says, hey, you know, uh, I really like that song that you all do called Twist and Shout. Do you know the Isley Brothers, Twist and Shout? Everybody on planet Earth knows the song Twist and Shout. Do you know the song Shout by the Isley Brothers? That might be the only song that more people know. <laughs> yeah. Whoa! 
So he goes, I really like this song that you guys do. So it's the Isley you Brothers. You make me wanna so this is, this is the Isley Brothers. This is the kind of stuff that they were doing in the early 60s. Other stuff that they did was... This song? That song put at every college party I ever went ever. to. Ever. Yep. And still is, yep. probably. Do you know this song? This song sampled a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah. true. So good. So they're this beginning, like, not funk, but R&B... Smooth, but with heavy distorted guitar. This is where he kind of got some of those foundational elements because of his guitar playing. Hear some of that? All right, so that's the Isley Brothers. I did not, I'll stop you. I did not know that Jimi Hendrix was a part of the Isley Brothers. Wait, it gets, I don't know it, if I did either. It gets so weird though from here. Oh. That's, that's actually normal. Oh. Okay. So they hire him right away because he's so unbelievable. And he go, all right, look. Meet us for rehearsals in New Jersey. They had this like place where the Isley Brothers would would practice. He goes, I can't make rehearsals in New Jersey because I don't have a place to stay. So they go, all right, look, get all your stuff. He had all of his stuff with him because he was practically homeless. He just went place to place. Remember, he's a massive hippie, mm-hmm. which I figured you guys <clears throat> would know. He grabs all of his stuff. He says, you can stay in the spare room at our mom's house. So he's living at the Isley Brothers' mom's house. And he plays with them for a couple of years. So if you actually were to YouTube some of the old Isley Brothers stuff, you will see this grinning, clean-cut Jimi Hendrix on left-handed guitar just grooving and shaking in the background (laughs) to all of these songs. And it's spectacular because I don't think of Jimi Hendrix that way, but that's where he began is right there with the Isley Brothers. Very interesting. So he he, uh, when he starts playing, he goes, you can't play this beat-up guitar with us. He's like, we're going to get you a new guitar. Whatever kind of guitar you want, we'll buy it for you. So the Isley Brothers are like big time, right? Already huge at that point. Okay, these so, songs so. were huge. Shout, twist, and oh, shout. Oh, so these are all songs that were already already huge ah, hits. Gotcha, for, gotcha. And and, and he, so he would tour with them. Okay. So he goes, "You're gonna buy me a guitar?" And they go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Can I have a Fender Stratocaster?" And they go, "Yeah, what color?" <laughs> can, can I have white? And he goes, "Yeah." So they get him a brand new white on white Fender Strat, and for. Most of his career, whenever you see him, that's the guitar that he's playing. Really? Yeah. Is that Fender? Is that white Fender Strat? Like the same one, you think, or just like yeah, a bunch always of played Fender Strats? Played a couple of other guitars, like just screwing around, but it's always that white Fender Strat. Hmm. That guitar today, a couple million bucks. He leaves the Isley Brothers, and he goes to play with Little Richard, who I know you know. Mm-hmm. So he plays with him for a little bit. Then he gets a gig in the mid-60s playing with a group called Joey D and the Starlighters, who I don't expect for you to know, but I'm going to bet that you know this. They had a huge hit in the late 50s with a song called The Peppermint Twist. Probably not. No? Uh, This is a little before I was born. (laughs) Okay. I took a shot. Peppermint Twist was huge. This sounds like every other song from the 50s. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll give you that. It's it's, it's, it's that that same 50s vibe. Okay? Go, Speed Racer, go. Now, on that that same kind of tour, that circuit up there in the the Northeast, Joey D and the Starlighters was a big deal. Mm -hmm. The guitarist for Joey D and the Starlighters leaves, and Jimi Hendrix comes and at that time takes his place. The guitarist who left Joey D and the Starlighters because he wanted to pursue an acting career, was Joe Pesci, mm. which I thought was incredible. So essentially, huh. 
Jimi Hendrix filled Joe Pesci's shoes. Interesting. Isn't that weird? Okay. So let's get to it. This is, this is, what, this is where I really want to go. He moves to Greenwich Village, and he starts playing and does kind of his own thing, and he is playing at what's called the Cheetah Club. The Cheetah Club was a, a, a popular uh, rock and roll place. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the, in the village, back in the mid-'60s. And there, a lady named Linda Keith, who was the then-girlfriend of the Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards, sees Jimmy and is blown away and says... You gotta, you gotta meet some people. Like, you, we gotta do something. You're an unbelievable guitarist. So she becomes friends with him, and then refers him to a guy named Chaz Chandler. And Chaz Chandler was the bassist for the group The Animals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he moves him to England, and that's really where Jimmy's career takes off. And he gets, he takes off with a song called. Hey Joe. So song number one we gotta do for Jimmy is Hey Joe. I like this song. Hey Joe. Alright, so a couple of things we're gonna start so we can kind of as we hear some of these songs identify why he's so good. Okay? Mm-hmm. The first thing is for the Jimi Hendrix experience, which was three guys. So let's just, just pause for a second. Three guys. You got Jimmy, you got a bass player, and, and you got a drummer. That's like Cody Canada and The Departed. Yeah. yeah. A lot Th- of good bands. Three guys. Mm-hmm. Okay? The sound is so full and rich for just three pieces. If you really listen to the guitar part, you he is playing... All of the lead sections, all of the little embellishments that you hear at the end of a verse, as well as the chords, almost at the same time. So listen, listen, listen what, what is going on with three instruments. How full and rich is that sound with three pieces? So Hey Joe is huge, and, and he really blows up. And so he starts playing at some different gigs in England, and on October 1st, 1966, Chaz Chandler brings him to the London Polytechnic, where he watches Cream, which was Eric Clapton's band. Who's got to be like the second best guitarist of all time, right? At the time, though, he was considered the guy. Okay. Clapton was it. Mm-hmm. Clapton was it And Cream was the band mm-hmm. At the time So Jimmy meets Eric Clapton And goes Hey Would it be cool If I play A couple of tunes Like can I Can I play a song And, and Clapton's like Yeah If you want to <laughs> Sure So Jimmy goes up And does This song And blows Everyone's Brains This is Killing Floor. (laughs) 
Clapton says he played every style of guitar he could think of, but not in an overly flashy way. He did a few tricks, like behind his head and playing the guitar with his teeth. But once he walked off... With his teeth? Yeah. Once he walked off, my life was never the same. Long time ago. And for me, his his adherence to the blues also makes Jimmy so special. Because if you listen to so many of his songs, these are old blues songs yeah. that he just blows up. The blues pattern, it's all in one, four, five, with those weird chords, which we're going to get to. But listen. All right, remember when we talked about the idea of like saying a line, saying a line, mm-hmm. and then repeating that line, right, and then saying another line, and then rhyming that last line. So like one and two are the same lines. Three is something different, and then four rhymes with one and two. Correct. That's like that blues pattern. Yes. Okay. Jimmy does that with almost all of his songs. That's that famous blues progression. Unless he's going and doing something like, which we'll get into some of the some of the more rarer songs, but. That that pattern is what he does. Listen. Same thing again. Into the three. Into the four. All right. So anyway, Clapton's blown away. Absolutely, just mesmerized. Mm -hmm. And the first album that they come out with is called Are You Experienced? And Are You Experienced is one of three, only three, studio albums that Jimmy ever made. Hmm. Now, I thought, before I really dug into Jimmy, that he's got this vast musical library. I know he died young. We all know that. But I thought... 27 Club? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was a big, like, oh, he's got so much music. No. Three, three, only three studio albums. Hmm. The first one, Are You Experienced, has mo- many of his most popular songs that made him, made him so famous. What I really want you to take away from it mm-hmm. is the particular chords, and one in particular, which is the dominant seven flat ninth chord, which I know <laughs> sounds really weird. Hold on. <laughs> okay. The dominant okay. seventh Flat ninth chord? Correct. I actually remember that's the one I read about. Okay. That's the weird one. That's like his special. It's called the Hendrix chord. Yes. Yeah. So everyone who, if you ever see the notation, let's say it's uh, E7 flat nine, it's the Hendrix chord. So I you would say E Hendrix. I was on YouTube watching stuff and I'm like, they're just making shit up at this point. Like, no. That's not a real, yeah. that's no. not a real chord. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to show you why it's so important. So You're I'm going to play, play the guitar. Yeah. I'm only going to play it in just. So you see it, because I want you to see it, but I'm also going to do it so that people can hear it. And I'm going to do it on an acoustic guitar, because Jimmy wouldn't play it on an acoustic guitar. So you could see how weird it is, but it's so weird in a good way that when it's amped loud and has effects on it, like the distortion, and when it's played the way that Jimmy would play it, you're going to say, okay, now I see it, and now I, I can identify it. Mm-hmm. So let's just take, let's take E, right? We have the E chord. The E chord, to have any chord, you have to have three notes. Mm-hmm. Three notes make a chord. Mm-hmm. It's the one note, the three note, and the five note. Right. So it's E, B, and G sharp. Mm-hmm. So every note 
is either an E, a B, or G sharp. This is E, B, E, G sharp, B, and E. That makes the E chord. Simple. So if I were going... Right? It's mm-hmm. E. Mm-hmm. If I add the seventh, so now I got the one, the three, the five, and the seven. If I add the seven... Sounds it's bluesy. A, D. a little bluesy. That's mm-hmm. the seven. So if I were to play an E7... That's mm-hmm. the E7. Right. Jimmy adds from the E7, he adds the ninth, which is the G, but the flat ninth. So it's not G sharp, it's G. So he flattens that. So it sounds like this. That does sound like some Jimmy Hendrix. That's weird. Yeah, that's and if I play weird. it like that, it sounds, I'm going to use the word cacophonous. It doesn't sound, it sounds off. It doesn't sound right. But. Kind of lit. Now, it's got minor notes mm-hmm. from the minor scale and mm-hmm. major notes. So now he can go with his little runs and trills and everything that he does in the major scale and the minor scale. And it works. Because that chord is neither major nor minor. It's got both in it. So he just cheated. like <laughs> Didn't cheat. He made it his. Okay? So now I'm going to play you a song. And you're going to say, oh, now I see it. Watch. You hear that? The song slaps. <laughs> you know you are heartbreaker. That whole song is built around this. It's actually an F sharp seventh with a flat nine. That's the Hendrix chord. Song sounds sweet. Listen. So that's Foxy Lady. Purple Haze is the same thing. It's all built. Listen. Now remember, three pieces. It's just guitar, bass, and drums. Little effects, little distortion. Here we go, watch. No one's doing this. And you've heard these songs. Oh, yeah. But you hear them maybe a little differently. For sure. Knowing that. All right. Let's move on. Because it does sound unique is the best way to phrase. Like, you hear that stuff and you're like, oh, it's different, but I don't really know why. That's good. That's fair. All right. So, let's get into a couple of things that make him really, really important. Then I'm going to put it all together and give you one last one that you go, okay, now I, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Ben's stops, trills, and effects. Bends. When you take that note on a guitar and oh, bend, bend. I think bend. bends. Oh, like sorry. The diving bend. disease. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and bend, literally bending the string up or down a little bit and getting some of those notes that you literally can't, for example, on a piano. If you move from one key to another, you are either in one or the other. You can't be in between. In a guitar, you can bend the string a little bit or a lot and move that note. 
I play a steel guitar, bro. Okay, so you know exactly. It's all about bends. Yeah, that's right. Trills, meaning moving your finger back and forth to ring out that note, to make it a little bit louder, a little bit softer, a little bit sharp, a little bit flat, how quickly you do it. That's all Jimmy. Stops, full stops, gliding stops, moving the, moving your fingers quickly, moving your fingers. I mean, he does all of those things. And with the effects, he was the first guy to really implement the wah-wah pedal, the distortion, loud, I mean, loud amps. There's no way he had any hearing. There's no way with the amps that he had behind him, he, he could hear anything. It was so loud, but that's how he played. And with all that, all that going on, it was a different it was a different experience. It wasn't just loud music. Cream was doing loud music. There was a lot of other metal bands that were doing... Led Zeppelin, for example, did a lot of that. But it wasn't the way Jimmy did it. It was so raw. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, in 1967, June 4th of 1967, Are You Experienced spends 33 weeks on the chart, peaking at number two. What beat it? Just out of sheer curiosity. Do you know? Yeah, I do. And what? I know that you know. 1967. Oh, it's the Beatles. It was. Yeah. God, God the Beatles are so lame. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah, terrible. Uh, so, we did that one. That was actually maybe one of the first ones we did. Yeah. Was and that they, the first one we did? It was It was the first one. It was one the first we one we did. You're yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. It was we the did first Garfunkel next. And yeah. they made me pull it down for copyright. You're kidding I me. I swear. Is it, it's not up? Oh, that was such a legendary episode, too. That was was a great great one. It was great. No, the Beatles do not like you using their stuff. Well, I don't really care too much for the Beatles anyway, so. That hurt. That hurt. So, I mean, they're going to take this one down, too, because you said their name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, in 1967, on June 4th, Hendrix opens up a show at Seville Theater in London. In the crowd is Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Eric Clapton. Lineup, okay. Yeah, I mean the dudes of the day. Mm-hmm. The Beatles have the number one album mm-hmm. in the world. Hendrix has number two. Mm-hmm. Hendrix opens up the opens up his set with. He goes. He looks right at Paul, right in the front row, and goes, "How about this?" He does Sergeant Pepper. We're gonna get taped and taken down. We're gonna get taken down for copyright. <laughs> no. Paul later said it was one of the great honors of his life. I'm, I was thinking, no, there's no way he said that. There's no <laughs> way. <laughs> Damn it. He did a great, great job. All right, I'm going to move on. Uh, That's cool. The next album that comes out is Axis, Bold as Love. I'm going to skip that. The only thing I want you to understand about that is that major experimental effects really went into that album. A lot of good stuff that came out of that album, but we're going to skip it here for the purposes of time. The third album that he goes to is called Electric Ladyland. And Electric Ladyland is really important. Really, really important. It's... Number 15 on the most important albums of all time list. Wait, yours or just in general? No, in general. What's on the Rolling one? Stones. Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper? Yeah. What's number two? All right, well, like, okay, I mean, sorry. Continue, continue, Honestly, continue, no, I'll continue. tell you because it changes almost every year. But I just want to know what beats this stuff out because this is great stuff. It's legendary. Like, what could possibly know, I, beat this? That's, that's fair. I, I don't know all of the criteria that goes into it. Like, 
you know, it, how much of it is the charts? How much of it is like you think there's sales any Yeezy albums? N- no. Okay. No, uh, no, there, no, there should never be. <laughs> okay. So at this time, though, Jimmy becomes like a major, almost annoying perfectionist with everything. And he demands like insane retakes and redos of everything. So every note in Electric Ladyland is purposeful. It's Jimmy's creation, and it's a double album. And he is so uh, pedantic about everything that Chaz Chandler decides he leaves him. He's like, I can't handle this anymore. Noel Redding. Who's Chaz? Remember his manager. Oh, correct. Yes. Noel Redding, the bassist, leaves and forms his own band called Fat Mattress, but that's a whole other story. Uh, And so Jimmy is left to do, Jack, most of the bass himself. So most of the bass on Electric Ladyland is actually Jimmy. So he does the bass and the guitar. Wow. On the album, the cover says, produced and directed by Jimi Hendrix. But let's get to it. All right. It is his most successful, commercial successful album of all time. And in 1969, Jimmy is the highest paid rock musician in the world. Okay? But the song that I really want to show you, and I know you know it, but it personifies everything the rhythm guitar that he plays, the lead guitar that he plays, the effects that he plays, the chords that he plays, all of the little solos, the leads, the licks, all of the embellishments after every verse, with all of the things that he does in the minor and the major tonalities, everything with the effects, the the wah pedal, everything, all of it comes together in, I think, one perfect song. What song? And that's this. All Along the Watchtower. Remember, three guys. I mean, this song's incredible. So, so good. But, before we get there, I have to do this for you because I know how much of a sample guy you are. Mm hmm. Big sample guy. So, this is how it started. Remember, this is the original Bob Dylan song. So Jimmy hears this and goes, let me see what I can do with it. There like must be some way every song ever is just could be traced back to okay. <laughs> Almost. You're absolutely right. Now, this is good. Yeah. I was like, this is a I great one. Too. Yeah. But. Yes, wait. I mean, come on. Right? Now, I'm going to fast forward it to a, a, a place where I want you to just see some of the things that he does. With some of the, the effects and the trills and the leads and the everything after each verse, I just want you to part, listen, listen to this. Watch this lead. Actually, listen to this song. I like this song. All right, pretty standard lead, nothing crazy, but watch the effect. He uses a cigarette lighter up and down the neck of the guitar as a slide. And then pans it left and right. Wait, I did this last week. Did you? Yeah, well, it was a candle lighter, but <laughs> same thing. Wah wah pedal. I have one of those.
it just keeps building. Listen to these little ch 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 parts. Ah. And he brings it all back. Unbelievable singer, but he really gets the job done. Like he does a yeah. good job. It doesn't matter at this point. It doesn't matter, does yeah. it? Right? <laughs> what you were saying earlier, he sounds like a blues singer. Doesn't he? The way he delivers yeah. lyrics. Yeah. He like really blues, does. Blues singer. Yeah. And he always. I don't know if you've seen him live, but if you most of the time he's chewing gum, like he's just doing like John his Cooper. Thing. He's just yeah. chilling. All right. So that that's kind of what I wanted to leave you with. Like I wanted you to see him from a different perspective. In that he's doing all of these things. As one guy, he's playing rhythm, he's playing lead, he's playing all the little embellishments that are usually done with other instruments, like piano or saxophone or some sort of other accompanying instrument or instruments. He's doing all of it. And you got, you got bass and drums in the back. Then you got all the effects, the heavy distortion, the volume, his singing, all of it, all of it is being done by that guy. Pretty incredible. Pretty, I mean, he's pretty amazing. Again, yeah. what, is he my favorite guitarist? No. But can I appreciate what he has done and, and the fact that, sadly, he died at 27 in the 27 Club with you know, Brian Jones, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, all of that. I mean, he, hopefully not me. I'm only 26. No, oh, hopefully not you. Yeah. I've got time. <laughs> but it's so sad. But, I mean, what he's done and the mark that he left in such a short period of time is pretty incredible. It's incredible. So what do you guys think now after all, after all that? Well, you know what? I'll I'll be real candid with you. Okay. So I live about thirty five minutes away from here, and sometimes when we leave these, I get in my car and I listen to whatever I listen to, and sometimes I get in the car and I listen to whatever we talked about. Right. And I feel like this is one of those ones that for the next thirty five minutes, I'll probably listen to Jimi oh, Hendrix. That's, that's that's a good. Yeah, this is a this is a cool one. Right. I, I like this one. What about you, Jack? I I love Jimi Hendrix. I yeah. went through a huge Jimi Hendrix phase a couple years ago. Did I you just kind of like stopped listening to him a little bit? But this, I'm kind of with him. This kind of makes me want to go back and like revisit it. That's cool. And, and also, also, I don't normally inspect it that deeply, and I didn't know a lot of that musical stuff because I don't play the guitar. So you're talking about all these crazy new notes. I didn't know there was that Hendrix note. Yeah, it, it, I mean chord, he he's got just, he's got not only the Hendrix chord with the dominant seven flat ninth, but he's got these little, uh, let let's call them like licks, little solos that he does repeatedly that are now. Hendrix licks. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a Hendrix licks from the. I mean, they're identifiable just because of which which way a guitarist will go with a certain thing. Oh, that's a Hendrix lick. He's that revered. Like, wow. Just a, a, even a series of a combination of say five, six, or seven notes put together, mirroring Hendrix. You go, that's a, that's a Hendrix lick. I'm going to YouTube later. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> It's kind of crazy. Right, I'm going to leave you with one because I always like to ride out to one last song. I'm going to mm-hmm. leave you with something because all along the Watchtower is so powerful. I'm going to show you how Jimmy can be bluesy, subdued, and really like soulful at the same time. This is called Little Wing. And I'm going to say, as we always do at the end of these, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. See you next time.